Luke chapter 9 and beginning in verse 29. Luke 9 beginning in verse 29. Now again, we've been studying through the gospel of Mark together, but we're going to look at Luke's account of the transfiguration and get a few other details to uh, encourage us this evening. As he was praying, this Jesus, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Father, give us grace now as, as we study your word to know what the exodus of the Old Testament has to do with the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament, and then what both of those glorious moments have to do with us right here, right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated, and uh, if you'll hold your spot there in Luke 9, and also be finding Exodus uh, chapter 14. I want to begin this evening with uh, an illustration uh, that we're going to use this morning and we may use for the next couple of weeks. I think it just helps us uh, know how to think about ourselves in, uh, in an appropriate way. One of the things that the Bible helps us do, what God's Word helps us do, is to understand ourselves uh, accurately. And so I heard uh, one of my favorite preachers, Colin Smith, give this example. And so I'm going to uh, adapt his illustration a little bit for our Purposes. And so tonight, again, the title of our sermon is going to be Our Saving Exodus. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, and by way of illustration, I want to begin with this picture. This is another picture that I took myself, by the way. Some of you are going to recognize uh, this room because this is actually a room right here in our church. This is our conference room. And you can see around the table, there are seven chairs. And so I want to use the illustration of what I'm going to call the boardroom of the soul. So I want you to see this picture for a moment, and I want you to sort of think about a board of directors. Maybe that's what we'll uh, call this. And what is true of your soul, what's true of me, is that we were made in the image of God, right? That's what the scripture says, that you are not just a random assortment of chemicals. Uh, they're just over the billions of years just somehow came together and formed you, unique individual you. You are actually made by God, and the scripture says in the book of Genesis that God breathed into you the breath of life. And what that means is that you have a body, but you are a soul. Amen? You're not a body. You have a body, but you are a soul, and your soul is forever. And I want to talk to you for just a moment about what your soul is made up of. And so we're going to use this illustration. You think of a boardroom, and so let's go to the next slide here, and we'll just talk about what we're called the boardroom of the soul. This is where decisions are made of you by you. So here's, you think about those, we'll start with those six chairs around a conference table. Every one of us has these six board of directors, these six members. First of all, you know that you have this. You have a mind, right? You have a mind. Now, again, picture the boardroom. The meeting's been called, and the first people that walks in is the mind. The mind shows up to the meeting, and the mind's got facts. The mind's got figures. The mind's got statistics. The mind's got quotes. 
The mind's got thoughts. You have a mind. And so at the boardroom of your soul, the inside of you, you've got a mind. But that's not all that's at the table. Y'all just hang with me. It'll make sense as we go along. The meeting's been called. The mind walks in. Got all his charts and facts and figures. And then also to the meeting comes the heart. And you never know how the heart's going to show up to the meeting, right? Sometimes the heart's in a really good mood. Sometimes the heart's got a smile on his face. Sometimes the heart arrives and it's downcast. And sometimes it's angry. And sometimes, just truthfully, the heart's broken. The heart just limps into the meeting. We've got a couple other people that are present at the board of directors here of the soul. You've got the will. And the will walks in and the will is strong and demanding. Anybody got a strong-willed child? All right. The will often will raise the voice. The will is capable now. The will is capable of great determination. But other times the meeting's called and the will seems to be bored and hardly listening, distracted. Now, did you know about about this, about your soul? The heart and the will, they often sit beside each other. They may have even talked a little bit before the meeting is called. And the heart and the will, they'll start to go together and and they'll sort of work against the mind. But we got some other members at the boardroom of the soul. We got the conscience. The conscience is also present. And the conscience, often weak, easily persuaded by the other members at the table, but the conscience is at the table. And we'll talk a little bit more as we go along. It's a good thing that the conscience is at the table. We've got two other members. You know who they are? got the imagination. Imagination is at the table. And the imagination often has insight on how to chart the way forward that nobody else can see. Other, often, though, the imagination lacks focus and can be drawn to sort of shallow and trivial things. So you've got to be careful about the imagination. And then one other member at the table, and that's memory. Memory tends to live in the past. Memory can get in the way of progress. And goes on and on and on, oftentimes at the meeting, at the difficulties that have gone on before. Now, this is the boardroom of the soul. This is who you are. Now, who made you this way? Who gave you a mind and gave you a heart and gave you a will and gave you an imagination and gave you a memory and and gave you a conscience? Who made you this way? Now, anytime you go to a meeting, guess uh, guess what often a question is asked? You ever been on a, served on a board of directors or a board of some sort? What's the first question they ask? Who called this meeting, Right? Now, who called this meeting? Did the mind call you into being? Did the imagination cause you to be? Who, who made you this way? Now, back, back my picture, we don't have to go back to the picture, but you might have noticed there were seven seats at the table. But do you know what the fall is? The fall in Genesis 3 is when the human soul said to God, we don't want you at this table anymore. You're no longer welcome. We're going to decide how we feel and what we purpose and what we think and what's right and wrong and what we imagine and what we want to have true of our lives. That's how you're made. That's how I'm made. That's how we are. So when we talk in terms of salvation, that's a word we often use as followers of Jesus. I want to talk to you tonight about salvation, but how it relates to this illustration so that we can begin to think about what it really means 
to be saved and what the saving exodus has to do. Now, I want you to keep this in mind here, here, without God on the scene, which of these things should be in charge? Which one do you think? Meetings called, and by the way, have you ever been to a meeting and you didn't know the purpose of the meeting? Y'all just sat there long enough, and we kept talking and kept talking and kept talking, and they finally said, what's the agenda for the meeting? Well, when the boardroom of the soul gets together, do you know what the agenda is? It's real simple. It's a real simple question, but these things don't do a very good job of answering the question. You know what the agenda is? What's my life's purpose? Why am I here? What's my meaning, right? Now, if that's the agenda, which of these does the best job answering that question? Now, here's how life works without God. Do you know how it works? Your whole life will go with one of these holding authority. For some of you right now, for some of you potentially right now, the mind is in control. But you go a little bit, and it doesn't really work out, so what happens in the boardroom? Guess what happens? The other members begin to say, well, I should be in charge. <laughs> I should take over. My little working theory is this. The position of leadership in the boardroom of the soul rotates between members. And oftentimes you'll say, let's follow the heart. And then the will will look around and say, we're not making any progress. You need to follow me. And then the board members just continue to change again and again and again. So... Who should be in charge? Well, in Luke chapter 9, again, I'll call your attention to verse number 30. It says, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, what he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Again, friends, when God created you, And God designed you. When God gave you a soul, he gave you all of these things. He gave you a mind and a heart and a will and a conscience. He gave you an imagination and he gave you memory. But in doing so, he never gave those to you to have independent of him. Do you know what's true of all these board members? Apart from Christ They're all selfish, they're all self-centered, they're all sinful, and what God made and designed to be servants, in the fall we've made them masters. And so when you live like this, if these are the only people in the boardroom of your soul, when you live like this, you'll have the wrong agenda, the wrong plan, and a false hope, and you'll always be, listen to me, you'll always be a stranger to yourself, and you'll spin your, your wheels constantly thinking, well, let's just put the other one in charge, and that didn't work, so let's get the heart in charge, and that didn't work, so let's put will in charge, and that didn't work, and let's put conscience in charge, but when the conscience calls evil good and good evil, that won't work, let's put imagination in charge, and that doesn't work, and you'll just go on and on and on, and what do we need? We need a departure from this, or to use the scripture here, we need an exodus out from this. Because this is bondage. So let's talk about the Exodus event in the Old Testament and how it mirrors or pictures, rather, for us our salvation. So you got your Bible. Let's go over here to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. We read here in verse 
5, this is what I quoted to you a little bit earlier, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, what is this that we've done that we've let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and and camped at the sea by two really hard places to articulate or enunciate rather so then verse 10 when pharaoh drew near the people of israel lifted up their eyes and behold the egyptians were marching after them so let me describe the exodus event in this way and then describing the exodus will describe our salvation and let's begin with this our saving exodus first of all is getting out of bondage it's getting out of bondage notice what pharaoh says What have we done that we have let Israel go from serving us? You remember how we described your soul, your mind, your heart, your will, your conscience, your memory? They're made to be servants. They make terrible rulers. Does that make sense? Pharaoh has the people of Israel under bondage. He's a powerful ruler, and he's a persistent ruler. You notice what it says. At first, he decided to let them go, and then he says, what have we done? You have to know in your life, you have to know in your life, bondage will keep coming after you again and again and again. See, you're in bondage when in the boardroom of your soul, if the boardroom of your soul meets and keeps coming up with a plan that will lead to life that is anything other than surrendering to Jesus. Can I say this again? You are in absolute bondage if in the boardroom of your soul, the meetings keep taking place, offering life in some other way than surrendering to Jesus. Boardrooms of the soul come up with thousands of ideas. Your boardroom will meet and say, well, if you could just make enough money, if you just find the right person, if you get married, if you have children, if you get a new job, if you establish your own identity, if you give yourself over to these sexual desires, if you go to this school, if you do that, and it goes on and on and on. And the mind will show up with his detailed plan. The heart will suggest, let's follow these feelings. The will will raise its voice and say, let's go in that direction. Any of you here? Memory. Memory gets the role of chair of the board. And memory will begin to haunt you and say, your life really was great back then when the children were little. I can already hear that voice creeping up to me (laughs) as my children get older. Man, your life was better back when you were in college, before you were married, before the health challenges began. And then memory makes a terrible ruler. We could say that of all of these things. And our saving exodus... Is getting out of bondage. Next, I want you to notice that our saving exodus is getting out of bondage by grace. Now listen to me. We're going to say this, th- this really quickly, succinctly, but I hope it will be clear. We get out of bondage by grace. 
Not by willpower, not by feelings, not by dreams, not by works, and not by going back to the good old days. That's all methods and false hopes that the boardroom of the soul conjures up to say, this is how we get out of bondage. But those ways only lead, is anybody tracking with me, to what? More bondage. No, the only way to get out is by grace. How do they escape Egypt? Well, we've not actually read about their escape yet, have we? It says in verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold... The Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in, uh, to us in bringing us from Egypt? Is not that's what we said to you when we were in Egypt. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Guess who's working for them? Old memory, right? That's how memory works. What was actually true of them in Egypt? Were those the good old days? They were in bondage, weren't they? Isn't it funny how memory works? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. How did they escape Egypt? It's by grace. What had they had done to deserve it? Nothing. What had they done to plan it? Nothing. What are they bringing to the table? Just a bunch of complaints. The Red Sea story, this account, is not just about what the Israelites got out of, but also how they got out. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now, just hang with me about the boardroom of the soul. Do you know what the rarest thing in the boardroom of the soul is? Silence. Somebody's always, always talking. Do you notice this about yourself? You're always talking to you about you. And most of the time, you're lying to yourself. (laughs) Isn't it crazy how the boardroom of the soul works? You lie to yourself about yourself, trying to convince yourself that you're not lying. God's going to do the fighting Stand still. You can't contribute. God's going to do it all. You're going to receive a complete deliverance based not on what you do or what you will, but solely on what God does by grace. That's the principle here. The the, the Exodus event illustrates how grace operates. They're going to cross over. It's what we read. The angel, uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Go forward. Do you know what the mind would say? That doesn't make any sense. Do you know what the heart would say about going forward? What does he mean? Going forward into the sea. You know what the heart would say? That doesn't feel right. You know what the will would say? That's not going to work. You know what the imagination would say? I can't imagine this working, right? There's nothing about the way your soul is designed would think this is the way we're going to get out of here. No, what would the mind say? We need to come up with a plan. That's a mighty army, but maybe we can will ourselves into fighting. At least we'll go out in a blaze of glory or something like that. No, here's the plan. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. 
that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots, his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And Moses stretched out his hand. By the way, you might be hearing this phrase fairly regularly in this account, and we're going to come back to it. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord of the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove them heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel. Tables have turned, right? For the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come up upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And go with me to verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. How do they get across? They cross over. On one side, the Red Sea, the Israelites are within reach of their false masters. And when they cross over, they cross from death to life. They crossed over from being under condemnation to being set free. You know, the best that a boardroom could ever come up with is let's build a bridge. But that's not Christianity, friends. That process wouldn't work. We've crossed over. John 5, 24. Truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Listen to Isaiah 51.10. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the highway so that the redeemed might cross over? It's what we're just saying, right? He turned seas into highways. Understand your salvation. You were on that side. Now you're on this side. You were in that kingdom. Now you're in this kingdom. You are out of the family. Now you're in the family. You are not born again. Now you are born again. You were under condemnation. Now you're not. And Moses tells them one of the hardest things to do of all. Stand still. It's the most unnatural thing to do when an army is marching against you, isn't it? The Lord will fight. So our saving exodus is getting out of bondage. Anybody here tonight out of bondage? You're out of bondage. You're out of the boardroom of bondage. It's by grace. And notice next, saving Exodus, we're rescued out of bondage by grace through a mediator. Why did the Israelites cross over? And the Exodus event, Moses is the picture of Jesus. Moses serves as a mediator between God and the people. And there's a phrase used multiple times in the account, verses 16, verses 21, verses 26. Moses stretched out his hands. Why this? Well, you know why. 
It's a picture of Jesus. What's he going to do? He's going to stretch out his hands. And all through the Old Testament in particular, the sea is a picture of judgment. When God judges the world in the days of Noah, what does he do? Sends a flood. Where do they step? On what kind of ground? Dry ground. No water. No judgment. You remember in the book of Revelation when the kingdom is ushered in fully, the sea will be no more. Why? Judgment. Judgment is gone. We're out of bondage by grace through a mediator. Friends, there's only one person, only one person who can ever step into the boardroom of the soul and bring peace. There's only one person who can ever step into the boardroom of the soul and take the chair, right, to be in charge. Now, this is important to connect it with our previous sermons. Following Christ does not mean you say, okay, Jesus, you can come in the room and have a seat at the table. And it's sort of, you have a seat that's along with the will and the mind and the heart and the imagination and the memory and the conscience. No, no, no. The only, listen, the only way Jesus walks into the room is if he walks in as king. And everything else about your soul submits to him. Our saving exodus is getting out of bondage by grace through a mediator Next, please know this, in order to be made holy. We want to balance teaching here. Because they get to the other side, they cross over. But then if you know the account, what happens next is that God's design is to then make them holy. I think it's Adrian Rogers who put it this way. You don't need to be holy to come to Christ, but you cannot come to Christ without then being made holy. Now, this is going to be a process. The crossing over from death to life, so to speak, was instantaneous. Now, being made holy is a process. If you've read the account, they're on their way now to the promised land. Why is God leading them out of here in the first place? In order to make them holy. Now, here's just as simple a truth as I know how to to state it as simply as I know how. You are either in bondage or you're being made holy. That's it. There's no middle ground. You're either in bondage to Pharaoh, to use the Exodus picture, or you're being made holy. You're being conformed to the image of Jesus. So our saving Exodus is getting out of bondage by grace through a mediator, To be made holy, and then the next is to dwell with the Lord. Where are they going? Just lead them through the Red Sea and then aimless. Where are they going? They're going to the promised land to dwell with the Lord. That's important. It's important, I think. To understand your salvation correctly, again, is that Christ has come to rule and reign. And the joy of your life is now he is in charge and you get to dwell with him so we've asked it this way several times before but i think it's a really helpful uh question if you could go to heaven and have all the blessings of heaven save the presence of jesus would you want to go well god's leading them out of bondage 
so that they can again dwell with him. This is what salvation is. That we who could not be in the presence of God can now be welcomed back into the presence of God without God compromising his holiness. Oh, we're going to talk about beautiful and glorious pictures of salvation. I mean, Exodus is amazing. And then Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, has got to be on the list as well, right? How did the prodigal end up in bondage? His mind lied to him. His heart lied to him. His will lied to him. His imagination lied to him. His conscience lied to him. And his memory lied to him, right? Now, let me ask you this. In Luke 15, or the, if you know the story, the prodigal went to the far country and he squandered his property in reckless living. And then this severe famine came so that he began to be in need. When he returned to his father, did he do so with his mind, his heart, his will, his memory, his imagination, or his conscience? Which part of him? With all of it, didn't he? He says when he's in the uh, famine and in the fields feeding the pigs, he said when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough food and here I perish. I will arise, I will go. What are those? We've already heard words of memory, of mind, now of the will. I will arise, I will go and I will say to my father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Now, just as clearly see this, when his father forgives him and restores him, what part of his son did his father welcome back? All of him. All of him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. When God saves us, he saves all of us. So, so real quick, let's use the teaching of Jesus. Let's go back just for a moment to the boardroom of the soul. We've all sat there. We've all been there. We've got the six board of directors around the table. Do you know when you're ready to come home? To come back to the Father who loves you? When in sincerity and in humility, in that boardroom, the six members look around at each other and say, we don't know what we're doing. We don't have it in this room to answer the question of why we're here, what's our purpose, how do we have peace, where do we find life, where do we find joy. When finally, and you know, I I really put a lot of thought into this uh, uh, as far as it goes, which one does God speak to first? Which one responds first? Well, here's my conclusion. None of them speak first. It's God who speaks first. So, not to be convoluted about this, which one responds first? Is it the mind? Is it the heart? Is it the imagination? Is it the memory? Is it the conscience? Is it the will? Which responds first? That's a great theological question. And I'll just give you the answer that I arrived at. When God awakens one of them, I believe he awakens all of them. Because we certainly rejected him with all of our being. So we therefore must repent with all of our being. 
Remember when Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount? And Jesus opened up his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Or I'm sorry, uh, ble- blessed are, um, uh, is it meek? I think it might be meek. Uh, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, apply that to the boardroom of the soul. Just to repeat what we've already said. The hope you have is when in the boardroom, it's obvious our resources are not sufficient. We're poor in spirit. And then you mourn. Oh, think of the time we've wasted trying to come up with the right answer. And then that cultivates meekness and humility. Now, not quite done. Our saving exodus is getting out of bondage by grace through a mediator in order to be made holy to dwell with the Lord for his glory. For his glory. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over the false ruler, Pharaoh. I added the false ruler part, but his chariots and his horsemen. Well, I want to conclude by putting it this way. We've talked a lot about the conference table. And the board of directors, right? But here in Exodus 14, are they standing at a grave or are they standing at a garden? Meaning, are, are there things here that are dying or are there things here that are growing? You see, because the conference table that we tend to sit down at was always intended by God to be a communion table. God is inviting us home. Amazing grace, isn't it? Most everywhere you go, you're wired to be treated as a customer, a client, a prospective consumer. But do you know how God treats you? It's his child. It's his family. This conference table is designed by God to be A communion table. See, God's not inviting us to an eternal boardroom. Praise God, right? What is he inviting you to? To a banquet hall, right? To a wedding feast. Now, if we did go back to the boardroom and ask a simple question, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the board? Well, when you're in bondage... The boardroom's answer would be to glorify self and you'll live for your own self-exaltation and you will always be in bondage in doing so. But once you're in the banquet hall, it's so very different. Now you don't live for your glory. Now you live for his glory. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a manufacturer's recall. He made us and therefore he can remake us. But our mind, heart, will, conscience, imagination, and memory are only renewed through Jesus Christ. 
One of the reasons I follow Jesus is because I am firmly convinced that following self will only lead to my own ruin. I believe, and y'all, I really believe this. I really believe he is a more trustworthy leader of my life than I am. I'm going with him. I'm leaving Pharaoh behind. They cried out to the Lord. Now, last point. In your life, you've likely cried out to your mind. Oh, if I could just think more clearly. Or you've likely cried out to your heart. Or to your own will, to your conscience, to your imagination, to your memory. Have you ever in humility and in repentance and in desperation cried out to the Lord and said, I want to be at your table. I want to depart from trying to run my life and I want to return to you. I want an exodus. Well, there's Moses and Elijah and they're standing on the mountain. There's Jesus transfigured, and they're talking. You know what they're talking about? Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to bring about the real exodus. Have you crossed over? Have you crossed over? Our saving exodus is getting out of bondage by grace through a mediator in order to be made holy, to dwell with the Lord for his glory. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, pray together, and sing about the one whose mercy is more. Oh God, I know in my own life I have sat in so many boardroom meetings of the soul with the wrong agenda, the wrong person in charge, clinging to false hopes. I'm so grateful for the King Jesus who says, I stand at the door and I'll knock. And if anybody would open the door, I'll come in. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat with him. What a wonderful description of the relationship you are restoring to us. I thank you that there's a communion table there's a mediator that there's a saving exodus inhabit the praises of your people I know in uh, Exodus 15 they sing a song to the Lord in response to your deliverance of them so that's what we do now we sing praises to our deliverer